Hey there, everybody. Welcome to the next episode of the Fat Guy Forum. This is your host, Gourmet. I'm glad you're here with us this week. I am excited to introduce you to this week's guest. His name is David Garcia, but you may know him as Keep It Up David on both Instagram and he's got he's got a blog that David, your blog has been in, in place now for almost ten years, right? Somewhere nine years. Yeah, I'm uh yeah. I started it in September of twenty ten. So yeah, we're a month my I'm a month away month away from nine years at keepitupdavid.com. Time that's, flies. That's pretty- that that's pretty awesome, man. Uh, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing good. And first of all, thank you so much for inviting me to join you. This is I've, I've been enjoying your podcast, and this is a real treat. And I, and I look and I've been looking forward to this all day. So thank you so much for having me. Awesome. Well, I'm glad to have you here. Um, so like like David said, he started his blog at KeepItUpDavid.com. It started in 2010, and I actually remember reading it when it started. So it's kind of funny that I, I, I think I followed you when I was in my first weight loss journey, followed, followed your journey pretty closely and was inspired by what you were doing. And then when I fell off the rails completely and kind of went my own separate way from like the fitness and weight loss world, um, I lost track. So when I think it was Stella, Stella is striving, said yep. she had connected with you and she's like, you have to talk to David, you have to get him on your podcast. Uh, so I'm always looking forward to, you know, tracking down some new people. And then when I saw your name, I'm like, I know that name. Why do I know that name? And I click the, li- <laughs> I, I click the link in your Instagram profile, and I'm like, I remember reading all these blogs. Wow! And it was like a, it was a nice trip down memory lane for me, like to to go back and and look at um, what you've been doing over the years. So that's really really awesome that you're still. I, I think it's great that you're still out there. So I'm excited to dive into your story tonight. So. I keep saying tonight. Of course, people could be listening to this during the morning. I, I have to stop making time references, I think, um, <laughs> and specific day references. Like, no one cares that it's it's 7.30 on a Thursday night when we're recording this. Like, it's they're going to hear it probably on a Monday or a Wednesday. So, yeah, they're, you all they're out just, there, don't worry. They're just thinking about how crummy their commute is anyway. So, they, uh, they, they, don't well, know, they don't care what day it is. I've, I've been hearing a lot of people are listening to the podcast when they're doing cardio. So at least I hope we give them something to, you know, get them, get them racing a little bit. So no pressure on you at all, though. No pressure there. Um, I'll, I'll try but, to talk with a certain cadence so everyone can move to the beat of my sound of my voice. There, I like it. I like it. So, so let's go back to where everything started for you. Go back to um, when you started gaining weight and how it started affecting your life um, as it developed. Yeah, sure. Um, Basically, you know, long story short, I don't, I don't ever remember not being heavy. It was something that I was aware of as early as elementary school, and um, and I remember making efforts to try to lose weight as early as middle school, and I was very involved in trying to diet in high school, and you know, I don't, I don't have any, um, like, I don't remember how much I weighed at any of those points as I was growing up, um, but I always knew that I was like starting elementary school, the, the biggest kid in my class. And, mm. um, and, uh, I mean, I, in high school, I did Weight Watchers when I was in high school. I, um, went to college and I did with my mother a, like basically a liquid diet that was administered through a, through an area hospital. I tried losing weight oh, on wow. my own. I tried, you know, I tried all sorts of things. I know you have too. It's like, you just sort of move from one to the next and, and oh, I would yeah. have sort of, um, I would have like, moderate amounts of success where I might lose 30 pounds or I might lose 50 pounds or maybe even more, but nothing stuck and it all came back. And within months I was sort of back to where I started. And, 
by the time I reached my um, early 30s, so this was, you know, in 2010 or so, um, I was I was over 400 pounds. Um, mm. the, the number that I remember is 402. It may have been higher because you get to that point and like, you know, normal scales that you that you buy at, at Target or, you know, Bed Bath & Beyond or whatever don't go that high. And the only time you're weighing yourself is, or the only time I was weighing myself was when I was getting my, you know, once a year medical, physical, where I was um, told that I was pre-diabetic and I had fatty liver and I had high blood pressure and I had all these um, related health issues that if I didn't do something about were, you know, would escalate into far worse things. And and even that, like I was, there was just so much shame and so much embarrassment and being confronted mm-hmm. with these facts didn't motivate me. It just sort of, this sort of paralysis set in where, um, where I would do nothing. And, and it got to the point after, you know, a, a de- like two decades of trying various things without much success, not all the time, but I would, you know, work hard for a while and then I would, then I would fall off track and I would gain it back over the next few months. And then I'd wait a few months and I'd feel motivated to try something new and it would work or it wouldn't. And, um, you know, it gets exhausting just, just trying. And so by my thirties, I was 400 pounds and I was certain I was like resigned to the fact that, um, that nothing would ever change and I wouldn't be able to make a change in my life. I wouldn't be able to lose the weight and I would be stuck at this size. I would be unhappy and, and, and that would be sort of my burden to carry. And it was, I sort of isolated it from other parts of my life. I I have awesome friends. I have awesome family. I I have a great career. I have, you know, all many other things could be going well for me, going great for me. But I knew deep down that like, I was never going to be truly happy. I was never going to function the way that other people could function because of my size. And I was certain that I was going to be stuck there forever. And I, and I lived that way for probably a year or two where I was just like, you know, I'm done. There's nothing I can do. I've tried it. Um, Well, it, 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 it's, it sounds like, and I think you get to that point that a lot of, a lot of people out there listening get to like, you try so many different things and you put in that effort and you, and you see progress and then you fall back and see progress and fall back and you get into eventually as I think as human beings, we think I, I can't keep living in that cycle anymore. So maybe I'm just going to, maybe if I adjust to living at the low point, then, then that'll just be my life. Yeah. And I got to the point where it, it wasn't even a choice. Like I'm, I'm going to live at that low point because mm-hmm. there is no other option for me. Sure. And, um, and I mean, that takes a, that takes a toll on your mental health. That took, takes a toll on, um, my, my moods and my interactions with other people. And, um, and yet, and yet I thought I'm going to be, that's how I'm going to be. That's how I'm going to feel for the rest of my life. Like it just, mm-hmm. you know, hope, Hopeless just begins to sort of encompass what what that feels like, um, and and stuck. You just I just felt stuck. Oh, understood. And and it's it's wild to me when we think about that, like how we can become you know become stuck in that that hopeless. Like you're literally saying, you know, in that hopeless place, and it becomes somehow enough. Like I I think I re- I was watching. I t- to prep for our talk today, I was watching one of one of your interviews that you've done, and I, I think you said, you know, that was your normal. 
like as as yeah. you know as hopeless as it was like your life at 400 pounds had become your normal like what was an what was a day in your life like at that point um i remember oftentimes thinking um like i just got to get through the day and um and so i don't think i ate like much in the mornings i was like yeah you know, I, I sort of skipped breakfast and then um and then lunch was uh lunch was like burger and fries um you know sort of sort of standard stuff like i wasn't making an effort to to make any healthy choices um and i worked at that time i worked in an office that was just swimming with junk food mm. and there was um i worked in television and there there's something called craft services which is like literally it's union mandated snacks and so there's like a table on every film set at every tv show you know bigger or smaller depending on how big the production is but like at, at the show that i was working on there was you know, like big glass jars of M&Ms and just chips and, and like you can open a fridge that was available to everyone and just pull out like Hot Pockets or Totino's Pizza Rolls and there's a microwave there and you can nuke them. And then there was um, and there was just like cookies and like a lot of sort of, you know, gas like gas station size, like those packets of like six Oreos or whatever it is and those bags of Cheetos. And I would just sort of go down there and like sort of fill my pockets with like little individually wrapped peanut butter cups and Mm. Um, and like, you know, all sorts of candy and all sorts of whatever. And then I would sort of go up to my desk and I would transfer it from my pockets into the top desk drawer, like that sort of shallower one that's like designed for pencils and, you know, and office supplies. And I would sort of go through it over the next 15, 20 minutes until it was gone. And then, um, and if I, you know, if I was working on a project where I was interacting with a lot of people, like if I had an excuse to go back downstairs to where craft services was, I was going to return with my pockets full. Mm. And if I wasn't work, you know, if I wasn't, you know, if it was a day where I was sort of on my own and I had my own projects to work on, then I didn't need an excuse. I would just go down and, and fill up again, fill up those pockets. And um, so there was a lot of that. And then, uh, and then I, I worked late hours and I would leave there sort of just hungry and um and i figured it out i figured it out sort of after the fact but um on my on my route home which was maybe 20 minutes 20 minutes commute i passed through um i passed by i think it was 14 different drive throughs and like oh you wow know, and it, it's not like there was a road with 14 in a row but it was like if i there might be five on this route but if i took this route there'd be a different three and if i took this route and i turned left here instead of there i could go by you know, a Wendy's or a Carl's Jr. or whatever it was. And I realized that I had been through all 14 of those probably on a mm. monthly basis. And, um, and so I was just eating a lot and it was all junk. Um, and, uh, and all of it was attached to a whole lot of shame. So like, you know, I didn't, I didn't bring a bowl of M&Ms up that was visible up from craft services. I shoved it in my pockets because I didn't want people to see. And, even if I like stopped by McDonald's or Taco Bell or whatever on the way home, like I made a point, like I didn't throw the garbage into my garbage, you know, into my trash can under the sink. Like I put it in a, I, you know, I collected it all and I walked it out to the dumpster just in case like someone came by. I didn't want there to be any sign of like what I had been doing or what I had eaten. So 
I was, I was conscious that I was making all these, you know, unhealthy decisions and I was making the choice to hide it and, and, um, and sort of pretend like it wasn't happening, you know, but it was, and on a daily basis. And was that a, with that pattern with food? Cause I, I relate a lot to the, the hiding of food, like the not want, you know, still wanting to eat a lot, but not really doing it, wanting to do it publicly and have the evidence be around. Like, was that something that started for you when you were younger or did it more develop as you kind of entered out into life and were around more people and, and realized, you know, kind of felt more of their eyes on you? I think it definitely started when I was a kid. Um, I think mm -hmm. that I, I learned those habits as a kid. Um, and, uh, and I think I never, and I, and I, I think I never shed it. Um, so I think it's just sort of been ingrained with me as, as long as I can remember eating. And, and when you were, cause you talk a lot about the development of your dieting as you were going up and growing, growing up, I don't know what going up means growing up. <laughs> and, and I, I, I also did Weight Watchers in, in high school. That was always a good time. I, I remember. Um, every time, because you you know well, sometimes men lose a little bit faster than women. And being the 16-year-old kid losing, you know, eight pounds in a week, sitting around in this group of middle-aged women who were losing two pounds, I got a lot of stares, and I almost felt like death threats at times. I, I remember one week I lost 10 pounds early on, and this woman, I sat down, and this woman turned around, and she said, you're nothing special. You're nothing <laughs> special here. And I was like... And she was one of those people who sat eating like, you know, air popped, no butter popcorn from her purse the whole time through the meeting and everything like <laughs> stereotypical Weight Watchers member. And I was just like, she's going to kill me. I can't lose <laughs> 10 pounds again because she will kill me. Um, but I remember building up all those patterns of behaviors, you know, when I was younger. And how was how, like you, you mentioned, you know, doing the liquid diet with your mother was was there pressure from your family to lose weight or was it, was it more everyone, you know, there were a lot of people in the family who had weight issues. So it was something you were more in together. Um, I think both at different times, there's definitely, I definitely, um, <clears throat> there's definitely genetics. I, there, there's heaviness on both sides of my family and I'm, I'm not the only one in my family that is dealing with, um, with staying healthy and, and keeping fit. And, uh, mm. And I think that I was sort of the most extreme version of it. I, you know, no one else in my family got up to 400 pounds. Nobody else was sure. um, as restricted or limited by their weight. But it's something that um, definitely exists, like, you know, in our family. And there are, um, and there were times where, yeah, there was a, there was a family effort. And I, I went to Weight Watchers with my mom and when I was in high school. And, you know, just, just hearing you talk about like being the only kid in a room of middle-aged women, it's like, yeah, all those memories just came flooding back. And I don't think I was ever as successful during one week as, as you were dropping eight or 10 pounds or whatever. And, you know, that's awesome. But like, I certainly remember, um, sort of standing out and feeling like I stood out and, um, and sort of not being able to relate to them as they could relate to each other. Um, mm. but anyway, uh, so I, I, you know, regarding pressure, that's an interesting question because honestly, I think that I have always been much harder on myself than other people have been, um, towards me, if that makes sense. Like 
oh, sure. people people have asked me a lot about if I was bullied or anything, and I honestly don't remember being bullied because, you know, that w- I, I I never needed to think about that because I would look in the mirror and just bully the crap out of myself and just say the mm. most awful, terrible things, and then it didn't matter what other people said because like nothing that they could say out loud would ever be as harsh or as mean or as awful as the things that I would just sort of tell myself. And so, Mm. you know, going back to family and and pressure, um, I know that I've had conversations with family members who have expressed concern and expressed, um, you know, valid, you know, expressions of love and support, but, um, and, and sort of nudged me or pushed me into making healthier decisions. Um, but that doesn't stand out to me as much as the, as the pressure that I would put on, that I would put on myself. Um, and then, so then, you know, when I would have a sort of extended episode where I would lose 30 or 40 pounds and then gain it back, it wasn't just like, Oh, it's 30 or 40 pounds. It was like, like, no, you're failing, you're a failure at this. And it just sort of like all those feelings of hopelessness and worthlessness are just Mm. sort of magnified because that was the pressure that I was putting on myself. And so, you know, I didn't, I didn't need, uh, I didn't need, and I sort of ignored the pressure from others because like I, I was giving it to myself. I, you know, I was my own worst critic. I was my own worst, um, antagon, you know, anti- antagonizer. Is that the word? Mm. Antagonist. I think, I think you know? that, yeah, I think that's <laughs> Antagonist. You know, that so, works. yeah. So, um, you know, it all came from within. That's 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 a powerful that you know that's a powerful statement because I think that's something a lot of us deal with. But for you to you know to see how that shaped your experience and know that you know some of us you know I think sometimes like our our reaction when we go through these situations is to build up this defense inside of us to try to defend ourselves as much as possible. But it sounds like instead you know you turned you turned your gaze inward and and decided you know you were going to be your worst critic you know you were going to be the one pulling yourself not just responsible you know judging yourself and and re- and, and there's a cycle of reinforcement there that um it, it sounds like obviously contributed to kind of keeping it going like it the more you beat yourself up the easier it was to beat yourself up yeah that's exactly right and it and it was um there, I remember, um, I remember reading shortly after college a book called Ordinary People, which is this novel that came out in the seventies, mm-hmm. and um, it was made into this movie with Mary Tyler Moore and Donald Sutherland, and um, it's a great book and it's a great movie. And in the book, there's a there's a teenage boy who's dealing with depression, and he talks about how, um, and there's this paragraph about how he talks about how you sort of feel like you're in a hole. And the only thing that you can do being in this hole is try to dig yourself out of it. But if anyone, you know, anyone that spent any time digging a hole, the only thing you do when you have a shovel in and you're in a hole is you make that hole bigger. And then all of a sudden it's like you can't do anything because this, you know, the only thing that you, the, everything that you try to do just results in that hole getting bigger. And mm. I sort of read that for the first time and like it just sort of rang true in all these ways where it's like, you know, you just sort of feel, you get to the point where you know that something's wrong. Uh, you know that you shouldn't be feeling like this. You know that you shouldn't be. I, sh- I know I shouldn't be saying these things in the mirror and I shouldn't be treating myself like this. I would never, ever treat a loved one or a friend or anyone else the way that I treated myself. Mm-hmm. And yet 
every effort to make a change or make a difference or improve just resulted in that hole getting bigger. And then, like you said, it becomes this this cycle, and it and it's it's hard to break out of because every tool that you think you can apply towards it ends up making it worse. Mm. Wow, man. When you, all you've got, like you said, when you're in that hole and all you have is a shovel, you can't, you can't use a shovel as a ladder. You know, that's not going <laughs> to, right. that's not going to be the rope that, that pulls you out like that, that shovel. But what do you do when all you know is how to use the shovel? When all you do, exactly. all you, all you know how to do is dig deeper. So that brought you to that place you were at, you know, in, in 2009, 2010, where you were 402 pounds. Uh, what happened? And nope. all you have is a shovel, and you get to the point where you just want to like snap it over your knee mm. like it's a twig and throw it aside. Oh yeah, and there's literally nothing else to do. So, so what what happened to change? Like you're in, you're dealing with that, you're dealing with the weight of those issues and the literal weight of your body. What changed? What what? Where does your story go from there, though? Because we know we're now talking about nine met- nine years ago. So something happened. Yeah. Something happened, and it and, and it began with meeting someone, mm-hmm. and I and I know you know who it is. Oh yeah, and I'll say it, but and and I know that you have your own history, um, but I had the opportunity to meet Richard Simmons, mm. and it was um, it was through work. I was I was working at the Ellen DeGeneres show, and he was booked to be con- booked to be a guest, mm-hmm. and I was assigned to produce his segment, and um, and so basically, <coughs> excuse me. Um, so I was assigned to produce this segment and that meant, you know, doing a lot of research about him and then ultimately talking to him on the phone and then on the day of the taping, preparing him and preparing Ellen and, you know, making everything so everything fall into place so Ellen could conduct a, a smooth, awesome, great interview that, she, you know, she, that would engage her and engage the audience and all that. So that's sort of the job. And because of that job that I had to do, I got to talk with him on the phone um, and then I got to meet him in person and he came for the day of the taping and he was there for, um, three or four hours, probably maybe even a little bit more. And, um, and at one point, you know, I was very professional with him. Um, I obviously knew who he was, but I wasn't someone that grew up doing sweat into the oldies. Okay. I wasn't someone that did deal a meal. Like I knew what they were because everyone knew what they were because, you know, he has a billion infomercials and he's had talk shows and he has, you know, he's been a guest on a bazillion talk shows. Mm. And, you know, you kind of have to live under a rock to to not have an idea if you're, you know, a kid of the 80s or 90s or 70s to know who he is. So I knew who he was. Um, and then at one point um, and my, you know, I was doing my job. So I was trying to be professional and just trying to get it all done and make sure he was being taken care of. And um and he brought he invited me into his dressing room into his green room and it was just me and him and we sat down on the couch and he just started asking me about myself and about where i came from and how i grew up and um where i went to college and how long i'd been at the show and all you know and just very friendly casual small talk and sure. after a while he just sort of said um well you know what i i can help you if you want it mm. and i knew I knew in a like hot second exactly what he meant. Right. Because he is the biggest, you know, fitness icon, one of the biggest fitness icons in history. Like, you know, he wasn't offering to teach me how to knit or anything like right, that. Right. I knew what he meant. And I and I like hemmed and hawed and sort of evaded the question. Mm. And um 
and and he listened to me doing that and he didn't push and he didn't you know he didn't guilt me or pressure me or anything he said okay you know it's fine like you, you know just know that i'm here if you need me mm. um and and he knew that i had his contact information like that was you know i got it to do my job right i knew how to get a hold of him and he knew that um and the only like the only thing that he really pushed for that day was I want you to come to Slimmons in Beverly Hills, which is the um, fitness studio where he taught classes. He's he's like, I want you to come. Your first class is on me. Um, just just come and dance with me, mm-hmm. in the you know, in, a, in dance aerobics, and um, and I said yes, and so oh, wow. I made it like this group outing. I brought like eight or ten other people from the office, and we all went like a week and a half later, and it was like the absolute most fun because you know Richard is a character he is so much energy and he's so funny and he's so quick and he's in his element and this there was a hundred people in a room and um and uh you know he plays all sorts of great music and at that class for a second time he pulled me aside and he was like offer still stands I can I can help you if you want it and a second time I like hemmed and hawed mm. and dodged the question. And um and you know, he didn't make a public scene about it. He just sort of pulled me aside and and made the offer again and saw the look on my face and he was like, you know, and he backed off. So like maybe a week after that, or maybe a week and a half after that, um, we're now like two or three weeks from me first meeting him. Right. And I just sort of sat up in bed one morning or and thought I got to take him up on his offer. I have no idea what it entails. I have no idea what's going to happen. I don't think I'm going to have any success, but like this is Richard Simmons and this is an opportunity for me and I'd be a fool if I didn't take it. And so that day I shot him an email and he was like, he responded probably within the hour because I, he is that on top of things. Mm-hmm. And he said, come back, come back this Sunday or the Saturday, come back this Saturday, take another class and we'll meet afterwards and we'll talk more about this. So I did it. Um, and he, he, we sat down after the class and, um, and part of it was like, honestly, part of it was like a scared straight talk where he's like, you know, you're, you're racing towards diabetes and, you know, you could lose a foot, you could lose a leg. It happens. You could, um, you know, you could, you're so much more prone to heart disease and, um, and all you know, all these things that every doctor will tell you, and that is a that all the problems that obesity exacerbates. Um, and then he said, "But, but you know, I can help you, and that off you know, and I'm true to my word, and I'm going to help you. And what I want you to do is start keeping a food log, and I want you to write down everything you eat and drink, and I want you to email it me, email it to me once a week. Um, and I, you know, and he sort of positioned it as I just want to sort of get a baseline for what sort you know." what where i was and right um and and who he was dealing with like who am i and he was going to learn that through what i ate and so i went home and i was you know and i decided from the get-go i was going to be completely honest um but i also knew that i needed to make changes because the way that i ate was you know astronomically awful mm-hmm. so i decided right then and there i'm going to be honest but i need to make changes and the thought of making changes was daunting Mm. and so i decided that i was just going to start with two things and i was going to make two changes 
um, that I knew would like work into my crazy work schedule and that would be like feasible and doable. So even if I, you know, had a bad day in other regards, like, Hey, I did these two small things. And for me, it was bringing a lunch to work and bringing a change of clothes so I could go for a walk like after work, but before I got home, because mm-hmm. I knew that like once I got home and once I was, you know, sort of planted on that couch, chances are I wasn't going to get up again. So, you know, change of clothes in the trunk, pack my lunch. Right. And, um, and then, you know, my first few food logs were, you know, full of processed foods. And I was honest about like a handful of M&Ms, like a, you know, the, like a bag of Cheez-Its, you know, whatever it was, I was honest about it. Um, a whole lot of diet soda because I was drinking diet Coke, you know, like a madman mm. at that point. And, um, and the thing, you know, the thing with food logs is that I think that everyone has a pretty, you know, base knowledge of what foods are good for you and what foods aren't or what foods are better for you than others. Like, you know, I didn't need Richard Simmons to tell me like, you know, that carrots are better for you than cake or, you know, anything like that. But what he was doing that I, you know, that I didn't really appreciate until we sort of got into it was he was just keeping me accountable. I wasn't doing that for myself. Like I was having, you know, I was making these stops on my way home and in eating in private at home and then throwing away the evidence like it never, ever happened. And now I could no longer do that because Mm. I was I had to keep these food logs. And so, you know, he would like he definitely had practical advice for me. He he taught me to pay attention to my sodium, which you know, it's so easy to double or triple your recommended daily intake of sodium if you're eating everything out of a box in a bag that's processed and frozen and, you know, laden with salt so it can stay on the shelf for two years. Right. Um, and he, you know, he pushed me towards eating, um, you know, like he pushed me towards vegetables and he'd be like, uh, yeah, he'd be like the like the frozen bags of broccoli and cheese like don't count you need to just like just eat the broccoli right for the right. Produce section <laughs> um you know and then he also pushed me to um to give up uh diet coke and like that in itself was a process where like i had to wean myself off and i was drinking maybe six cans a day and it was okay i'm gonna you know the next day i'm gonna drink four and replace the other ones with water and I couldn't even step down from Coke to water. I stepped down from Coke to like water where you, you know, rip open those little pouches of crystal light. Oh, yeah. And like, di- you know, dilute. So I went from Coke to crystal light to water because Coke to water was, was or diet Coke to water was too daunting. Um, but like, the you know, the whole general idea was that like, I didn't, because of this process, it wasn't like one day I woke up and, and thought, Okay, starting today, I'm exercising an hour every day, and I'm not eating carbs, and I'm only eating this number of calories, and I'm only going to eat this, you know, like I wasn't counting, like I wasn't counting macros. It wasn't like, there wasn't like a big overarching plan where every single part of my day had to change. It was, I'm going to start with lunch and a change of clothes, and then after a week of that, it was, okay, let's replace something else that's high in sodium. Let's, and then once that becomes a habit, it's, okay, let's start this transition to crystal light, and then that becomes... Um, you know, sort of a daily habit and it's all stuff that I fit into my current life. So it wasn't like my success was dependent on a program where all my food was being delivered to me and that's all I ate. Or I relied on me going to that gym on the other side of town that was hard to get to in rush hour or, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't big changes. It was a succession of small changes. And Mm. then all of a sudden you get to like four or five of these little things. And it seems like 
um, your day is completely different, but it's not because it's still your day. But you know, all these habits are ingrained and you start building this momentum and I start seeing smaller numbers on the scale and it's like, hell yeah, now I'm going to start looking for what that next change is. Like, well, great. I'm off like the frozen broccoli and cheese and I'm eating regular broccoli now. And let's like find out what else I can cut out. Like, great. Now it's time to pass on lean cuisines and start actually like making real food that I would bring mm. as part of my like you know, boxing like my brown bag lunch to work every day. And, you know, I just sort of built a momentum like that. That was really exciting because it wasn't like, I, I didn't feel glued to a book. I didn't feel glued to a, like a, like a menu planner. I didn't, or, you know, one that's provided with a program. I didn't feel glued to um, like a super, like super regimented exercise plan. It was finding those things that were part of my day to day that were part of my that I could incorporate into my routine that I could build on. And, um, and so over the course of a little over a year, I lost 160 pounds. Oh, wow. Um, and, uh, and you know, by the end of that year, I was drinking a gallon of water today, a day, and I wasn't drinking diet Coke. And, um, and I was, I was bringing my lunch and I was bringing my dinner like that eventually became a change where I knew that I worked late and I, and I wouldn't make it, you know, I didn't even want to like be tempted by those gauntlets of like fast food restaurants. So I started bringing my lunch and now I was bringing two meals a day and I was figuring out how to eat a healthy breakfast. And, um, and I was completely avoiding that craft service table. And I was, you know, and, and after that year, like I've made a lot of changes and I feel fueled to keep going because, um, because now I'm sleeping better because now I have more energy and mm. I, the walks that I've been going on, um, were longer and I joined a gym and I started using gym equipment and, um, and the, and, and to be honest, the other big component of it that I sometimes forget about, um, but I'm remembering it now is that I didn't tell a soul what I was doing. Right. Like, it was between me and Richard and that was by design. Like he suggested it, but I was already thinking it like. I didn't want to have to explain my food choices to other people. I didn't want other, I didn't want to have to defend my food choices to other people. Like I, and, and part of it at the beginning was um, rooted in the negative. Like I didn't think I was going to be successful. Right. I still had that mindset of like, I'm not going to ever be successful at this. So why should I go telling everyone like, Oh, I'm on a diet now. I'm not going to eat that. Like I'm, you know, I am, I'm fine over here with my celery. Like don't, you know, I didn't want to call attention to myself because I didn't want to feel that shame when I didn't lose weight and I didn't want to face that shame in the mirror when I didn't lose that weight. So it was, it was secret. And then like I'd lost 30 or 40 pounds and people started saying stuff like, you're looking good. You're looking slim. And at the beginning I just sort of like accepted the compliment and didn't fess up to anything. And like at the beginning, I remember just saying like, Oh, I think it's this clothing, like, you know, black is slimming on people. Mm. Like I just sort of, shut down the conversation. Like I felt good about the compliment, but I like, I didn't, you know, reveal anything. And, um, I remember I was able to surprise my parents. I, I was living in LA there and they were in Michigan. They still are in Michigan. And I remember like four or five months in or longer, I had lost about 90 pounds and I went home for a visit and I literally got out of a car on their driveway and they had, you know, and surprised them and I was 90 pounds lighter. And oh, wow. it was like a really exciting thing. Um, so, you know, it all, you know, all together, like it's, 
I sort of stumbled my way through it and sort of like it wasn't a, you know, super organized plan of, you know, of counting calories or 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 doing all those things that many people do and it works for many people, but for me I sort of found my way through it by making these small changes and making sure that they were all stuff that I could turn into a habit, you know, over a course of a week or two and then continue to continue to build on. And that's what ended up really working for me and um and it was only in retrospect that I sort of figured out that that was how it happened and that's how it worked. But at that point I'd lost 160 pounds and I was like, mo- you know, motivated to keep, to keep going. And throughout all that time for a full year, I was emailing Richard, those food logs and, and, um, and going to classes. And I continued, um, I continued to be a regular presence in his classes on a near weekly basis up until for about four years, up until he sort of decided to, um, disappear and, sure. and go off into his sunset mm. and um and it was you know it's it was um that that original encounter meeting richard obviously was this huge jumping off point and i um and i'm you know and i'm so thankful for um having his you know having his him be someone to be accountable to and him being a cheerleader and him being a friend and him listening which he is so good at and i'm also thankful that i was able to um take what i learned and take that accountability and um and become accountable to myself and that's why i started blogging is that like i you know i i knew i wasn't going to have richard to lean on forever nor did i want to lean on him forever mm-hmm. you know i i think a i think a big part of any sort of weight loss effort or journey or weight loss maintenance journey is you got to take ownership of it. You know, it's, it's um, at some point, you know, you can have all sorts of resources and tools and and people that you follow on Instagram and blogs that you read and articles and, and books. And you have all that stuff, but ultimately you have to make it your own and you have to take that ownership and be like, I know these, these sorts of things work. I know these things don't. I know that if I'm having trouble in this sense, I can turn to these you know, three things in my arsenal, or I can go back and look at these, you know, posts or pictures from other people that I admire and look up to. And, um, and I, and I took ownership of it. And I think that has been a key to, you know, to how I've been able to keep it off for like eight years now, which mine, this is my journey. Completely. And like, I, there's, there's so many questions I want to ask. Um, but I, I, one I want to say, I, I think it's, it's everyone listening out there needs to, needs to really focus for a second on what you just said. So David, he lost the 160 pounds and it's been eight years. Um, so you're, you've built a sustainable journey. And I think one of the things um, that, that I've talked about before that, that you may have heard was saying that people need to find what works for them and find the right tools for them because there isn't one that's going to work for everyone. And I, I think it's just fascinating to me looking at this because I know for me that I was always the person that wanted to have a plan to jump 100% into. But hearing su- the, the success of someone who really built their way through this journey in an organic process and you, you, you were able to look back and say a year later, I'm doing X, Y, and Z really differently in my life, but you got there by building that in small manageable steps and small manageable changes. So you never hit a point where you're doing all these things that could be overwhelming or could throw you off completely. Like you, you integrated it into the very, I mean, I know, 
I've had a lot of friends that have worked in production and in television and film. And I just know that the, 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 the busyness of that life and the, it's not like your hours are always exactly the same. And for you to be able to manage integrating that together, I think is, is an amazing accomplishment, man. So, you know, <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I, yeah, you for know, sure, I, for sure. I, I, I hate, I hate to sound, you know, smug, but like, oh, I, yeah. you know, I agree. And I, and I oh, think yeah. just to build up what you just said about, you know, about what we've been talking about, about making it your own is like, I can't think of the last time I followed a recipe to the T. Like, mm-hmm. I'm always like, I'm always looking for ways I want to add in more vegetables. I want to, you know, swap out like Greek yogurt for the shower, like for the sour cream or whatever it is. Like, I mm-hmm. don't want to make a special trip to the sh- store to buy these two ingredients. So I'm going to use these, you know, these two in the fridge. Like I, you know, everything that I do, I change to adapt it for me and my mm. needs. And like, and it's, you know, in, in a sense, it's like a, it's like a badge of honor that like, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to, um, I know how to read this article and, and accept that like of these four tips in this article, like one I can throw away that doesn't relate to me. These two are great. I may use them in this one. Like, yeah, you know, that's a great tool too, but I'm going to tweak it because I know that I respond differently to, you know, to this point or that point or whatever the case is. Like, you know, don't be afraid to go in there and, and mess things up in order to have, in order to make it work for you. You know, like I, I watch a lot of Shark Tank and Mark Cuban says all the time, don't let perfection, you know, get in the way of progress. Mm. And he has a more eloquent way. I just sort of paraphrase sure, that. Sure, sure. But, you know, like it's not about, you know, hitting all 10 bullet points on your day's goals. It's about hitting as much, you know, as many as you can and maybe altering a couple of those bullet points on your goal sheet or your objectives. But, you know, doing what you need to do. So at the end of the day, you can look back and be like, hey, this was a good day. Like I, you know, I I made all these great choices and tomorrow I've learned from this. So tomorrow I'm going to, you know, make that make that step of progress and be like, okay, tomorrow, like instead of those 10 goals, I'm only going to set those nine that I can do and I'm going to work towards those and then I'll find a way to like replace or tweak or um, edit that 10th. And then you keep moving forward like that as opposed to so many times in my life where it'd be like, I, you know, I ate too many calories today or I ate too many carbs today. And so the day is shot and what does it matter? And the floodgates sort of open and Mm -hmm. like, instead of having, you know, instead of like having a bunch of Oreos, I would start with like a bunch of Oreos and then it'd feel terrible. But then I'd think, well, what does it matter now? I might as well finish off that bag of Oreos. And then, then, you know, and then you get to that mindset where, where, um, where it's like, okay, well, I'll just get back on track tomorrow. And then tomorrow becomes like after the weekend. And then after the weekend is like, oh, after the holidays or after my birthday, you know, you can, you can, you can delay stuff all the time. But if you, um, if you just sort of change your mindset and think, okay, well, you know, I, I slipped up. I, I had the four Oreos. It's not the end of the world. Tomorrow I'm just going to get, you know, get back on track. And if I, and if I have those four Oreos again, like I'm going to do all these other things that are awesome and it's not going to be the end of the world. I don't need to abandon everything. I don't need to like fall off the bandwagon and, 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 and then never return, you know, like you just sort of have to think about things differently and, and it takes a while. It takes, you know, it's, it's time and effort to sort of adjust those mindsets, but I, you know, I can do it and I think you, you know, everyone can do it. And like like we've been saying figure out what works for you and and that's like you you're hitting on it right there like 
you clearly have had made a mind, you made a mindset shift, one that's obviously stuck with you, which is incredible. But I, what I'm really curious about is because when you talked about hitting, you know, find, when you found out you were 402 pounds and you even got medical diagnoses that were pretty grim, those didn't really kind of change your behavior. It was this experience of the offer that Richard made. Um, and, and I have some other questions about that that we, we might get to. But for I really want to think about like you talked about hitting this point where you, you, you decided to stay in hopelessness. But now it sounds like you, you found a way to build hope back into your life. What was it about that connection you made? You know, was it the connection you made with him and his repetitive offer, like not giving up? Like, what what sparked hope in you again? Like, I'm just wondering from your perspective, because I think so. I've talked to a lot of people that have had like those medical moments and the the death scares, and that's what changes them. And to me, and and you know, you said you sat up in bed and you decided to take him up on the offer. Like, what do you think brought hope back into the picture for you? Well. First of all, I don't think that I felt hope when I mm. sat up that morning in bed. Okay. It was more like don't like don't let this be another mistake. Okay. And um so that so I you know, I there wasn't like a crystal clear like aha snap. Right. Um and and to that point, like I didn't set a weight loss goal until I had lost 40 or 50 pounds. Like mm. it wasn't until I had lost 40 or 50 pounds that it started clicking that like hey I could keep going with this. Like this is actually working. Um, and, and it wasn't until that, you know, 40 or 50 pounds in where I thought, okay, I'm going to set a goal for a hundred pounds and, and see how that goes. Um, so it was really, really gradual. And I think that how, and you know, why that, why that table started turning was, um, was seeing some sort of progress and building some sort of momentum and, um, and I, I just started feel I don't know I just started feeling better about everything because things were working and I hadn't set expectations, mm. um, you know. And and I'm thinking about that and saying that out loud like it you know it doesn't seem like great advice to be like oh you know start start making an effort but don't have expectations like right. you know I I feel. I feel weird saying that out loud, but that's just sort of how it happened for me. Um, and if I were to, you know, give advice, direct advice, look someone in the eyes, I wouldn't, I would advise you know, what we talked about earlier, like make it about one day and one change or two changes that you can do in one day, like start with that and go from there. And I would, you know, and I would hope, hope that if people stuck with it and found a way to add in a third change and then a couple of weeks later, a fourth change that like me, you know, things will start to shift and, you know, and those, and those blinders would start to come off and you'd start to appreciate what you're doing and what you're able to do and what you're capable of doing and let that inspire you to do more. That Because that's sort of how it happened for me. And it's, and it's, and it, and it worked out. Um, and at the same time, it's like not great advice. I don't know. No, I, I think it is because I think I think really what you're illustrating is how there didn't need to be, like you said, an aha moment. There didn't need to be this overwhelming piece of motivation that exploded in your head. It was you knew there was an opportunity in front of you and you decided to just kind of take the risk and, and see what happened. Like you were 
you jumped into the unknown without really knowing what would come next. And by not knowing what comes next, like sometimes that sounds scary to people, but it sounds like instead you thought, well, I don't really have an expectation for what happens when I jump. So I'm, I'm going to do this. And you did it and then found ways to build. And it's almost like there's that part of our subconscious sometimes that can trick us into doing things. And you got you, you got yourself moving like you were the, per, per, you know, the proverbial like stone rolling down a hill like you you just got that little push going and then found ways to build momentum and keep it going and keep it going and build it up and i think that that to people who are listening out there who say they're not sure why they should start or they're not sure how they should start like that should should show them that you don't always need to have a plan in place that answers every question 100 percent but you can start doing things that you know are better changes. And you, you also you said, we all know what are the better choices. Like, we, for the most part, we do. Like, we know that drinking, you know, regular soda every day is probably not good for us, but we do it anyway. But if you can start to make a change with that or take, like I know for me several times with my, my weight loss attempts, cutting out soda first was always a big thing. Because I knew that was something that I could glom to and like kind of make as a change. And like, I think you're saying like finding livable changes. If you're someone who, who gets daunted, you know, is, is really kind of scared of, of jumping into a, a specific plan or a, something you see people doing, um, find the changes that you can make that you can live with. Like, I, I think that is great advice, man. Good. <laughs> okay. Oh no, definitely, definitely. I have, I, I have a, I have a couple of questions for you that you may or may not remember. Like this is more like me now geeking out. Uh, something I, I shared sure. with, something I shared with you was that you know when in the early nineties, I, I wrote to Richard Simmons. Um, I was, yep. I was. You did well, Deal a Meal for a long, long time. I did. Right? I, w- I was a Deal a Meal. I loved Deal a Meal. Like I loved having a wallet with cards and. I yep. think that's also why when I was off the rails and I would hear comedians like John Panette talk about how many decks of dealer mail cards he could fit in his pockets, I, I would laugh and relate to that, like intensely relate to that because I was the, I was doing sweat into the oldies in my college dorm room, like having to make enough space on the floor for me to do the sweat into the oldies tapes. Like that was my life, yeah. you know, at various points. And so I wrote to him and I got the, I got the autographed picture back with him chained to a fork in his bedazzled top. Um, with a very, <laughs> yeah, like it, it was, it was freaking, it was hilarious. I, and I, I swear I have it somewhere. I have to find it. But anyway, um, you know, he, one of the things I think that is amazing about him, you know, as much crap as people like to give him, because I think he likes to kind of, you know, at various points, especially in the past, like make himself the object of, of attention and ridicule so that he could then put the focus on other people. And be around these people that weren't comfortable having the spotlight on them and weren't comfortable kind of getting the focus and find ways to give it to them. And, you know, you read a letter from him and you feel like he's talking right to you. And like you said, like he took that time with you to connect with you without starting right into how much do you weigh and what do you eat and what do you do? And, you know, I'm wondering, like when you first it's a two part question. First, do you think there was some serendipity at play or were you purposely given him? Do you think whoever was kind of assigning assignments for the show said, you know, maybe making you be in charge of having to work with him could be something good for you to have happen? I know for a fact that's what happened, but I didn't mm. know it at the time. I didn't, sure. I didn't learn it until years later um, that there are, there's a um, there's a team of uh, executive producers that. Sure. Um, and one of them at the time probably still does. uh 
you know, divvies out the assignments when celebrities are booked. And uh, one of them years later uh, told me that she worded it in a, in a way that I can't quite remember, but it wasn't like, it wasn't like, you know, it was like, let's just, you know, see if anything comes of this. Right. You know, we like, nobody has anything to lose and he'll do a good job with the segment. Right. You know, it, it was, it, you know, they, they certainly weren't going to um, risk, you know, having a subpar par segment by giving, you know, giving me an assignment that I couldn't accomplish and couldn't knock out of the park. But like my weight definitely played into the decision to, to assign it to me. Although I, I did not know that until years later. Wow. Cause honestly, like even when I remember watching your clip on, on, on the Ellen show with Richard years ago, after you had lost your weight and came out and my, when she was talking about, you know, you working on the show and, you know, her thoughts about, you know, having kind of known you. And I was like, I wonder if there was a setup here. Like, I just, that's the conspiracy theorist inside of me, like, you know, in, in a good, in a good way. Like, I think, I think that's pretty awesome. Like, I think sometimes people, some, sometimes people take actions like, because they know, they know that having like a full on intervention might not help, but they set up some dominoes that could fall on the right, right, right path. And it sounds like yeah. that's what happened there. Yeah. yeah. And, and actually, um, when I did start losing weight, um, Ellen herself was one of the people that was like, you're looking good. Like you're making, like she definitely noticed and mm. she definitely said something to me. And she was one of the people where I was like, uh, you know, shrugging like, Oh, thanks. Like, I don't know. Maybe, oh, yeah. maybe I'm down a few pounds. I have no idea when I had lost, like when I had lost like, you know, 40 or 45 pounds and I knew that I had, and I'm like playing coy and playing dumb to Ellen DeGeneres about my weight loss mm. because like I was still on that mindset where like, I got to see if this works and I'm not convinced that it has yet. Oh, I um, no, go ahead. I didn't want to cut you off. No, I'm done. Oh, go, sure. No, like I, one, I relate to that a lot because I, I, even when I started losing weight in 2017, like coming back again after spectacularly failing in 2013, I didn't tell anyone that I actually knew in real life that I was doing this again. Like I waited a long time. Like I understand that feeling of, do they just think I'm going to fail again? Or am I just going to fail again? And like, and if I screw it up, I don't want to have to, you know, be held accountable or anything along those lines. Like, that's a that's a natural headspace to go to. Like my other question for you about that experience with meeting Richard is what what did it feel like being someone who was 400 pounds and knew that you had a weight issue meeting someone so big in that world of fitness and weight loss? Like were you worried at all about what he might say or how those interactions might go? Was there any fear there? Like I think for me like I start to I, my chest starts to tense up a little bit and I think, wow, like I know I immediately would be like, you know, even when I'm, um, you know, when I was at my heaviest and I knew I was going to run into friends that were trainers or like athletes, like I would feel, I would feel like, oh God, what's going to happen? Like now here you are meeting the person who's probably the most well-known at that point, you know, weight loss, quote unquote, celebrity in the country. And you're having to have these direct interactions with him and you're going to get to meet him. Like what? Did any of that go through your head at all, or was it just more you knew you were doing the work and you pushed it out? It was it was more the latter. Mm. Um, I, you know, I I wasn't gonna let any of my own feelings or fears or insecurities sure. like stop stop me from doing my job. Mm. Like, that's what I was there for, and that's that's why I that's why I had I was meeting Richard was right. because I needed to do a job. So so I don't. I don't remember feeling any um, any sort of hesitation or, or feeling 
um, anticipation or anxiety about it. Um, not, you know, if I did, it was job related. I wanted to do a good job. Right. Um, but at the same time, like you were saying earlier, like he has this charm and this way and this ease where, um, where within seconds you feel like you're, you've known him forever. Mm. Like he just has a way with people. He has a way to connect with people. And as you, you know, and as you've said, he does it through humor. He's not afraid to be, uh, you know, like the court jester. Right. He's not afraid to draw attention to himself. And the other thing that I knew was that, you know, he's walked the walk. Like mm. he lost, he lost over a hundred pounds on three or four different occasions when he was, uh, when he was young and he did it ultimately a very healthy way, but like he also did it some very unhealthy ways where he wasn't hardly eating at all. And he ended up in the hospital and, um, and like he was down to like eating lettuce and water or mm. something ridiculous like that. And, um, so, you know, I like personally, I would feel more intimidated, like with, you know, there's a whole bunch of celebrity trainers out there who are fit and right. they're jacked and they're shredded. And they've also never had that experience of being morbidly obese. Mm. And, I, you know, I would be more skeptical of being able to connect with someone like that because they haven't been in my right. shoes and they haven't felt like I felt. But Richard, like, you know, it was a, it's so comfortable and easy to, um, to sort of get swept up in his energy. And the thing with Richard is that like, you know, his message since, since he became famous in the seventies has never changed. Right. Like what, he, what he was telling you on sweat into the oldies one in 1984 and, and the Ellen's Jenner show in 20, you know, 11 to um, mind your portions to get some exercise and to love yourself. Like those are the three pinnacles of his comp of, of his message. Mm. And he stuck with that for decades. And, you know, and like things change, like here's another, like he made all these videos that help you get more activity. And he's come up with all sorts of, of cookbooks and, and food products and kitchen, you know, gadgets and deal a meal and um, stuff like that, that will help you get to those things. But like at the end of the day, when he goes on Letterman or he went on, Ellen or, you know, or on his own talk show or whatever, like at the end of the day, he just preached, mind your portions, get some exercise and love yourself. And that third one, that love yourself, like it's two simple words, but it is revolutionary because mm. there are so many, like, you know, it's, it's not included in any other diet and other, any other plan where like you have to start thinking that you're worth it. You have to start thinking that you deserve happiness and that mm. you are worthy of the effort that you're giving and um and it's so easy to overlook but like you know if you if you start looking into like if you know anyone listening to this starts thinking about the diets that they've tried and the diets that they failed like where was that self-esteem part where was that continual reminder that you are that your efforts are worthwhile and that your happiness is worthwhile and valid like it's what he was doing was so different and unique and um, and unwavering for decades. That's that's an an incredible point. Like that is the piece that I think you know we miss. We can do all the science, we can do all the math, but if you're not, if you don't feel that you're worthy of of the work that you're doing, you lose that value and 
you can lose it all right away. Like you can, you can slide back easily yeah, because if, you don't care. And if you don't have, yeah, exactly. If you don't, if you don't feel that value, if you don't feel that worth and that self love, then why should you make any effort at all? And, and then, you know, and, and now like I've, you know, I've been at this since, since 2010 and, right. and it's still hard. Like I don't have all the answers. I don't, I, it's still a challenge. It's still a struggle. It doesn't get easier, but now like I have, um, I, I'm at this place where I have so much more happiness in my life. I have so much more confidence in my life, so much more self-esteem and I earned it and I fought mm. hard for it. And I think that and and what gets me going now because you know as opposed to losing weight where you can check in on a scale once a week and see this number and know you're moving in the right track and now i'm working just as hard and and doing taking as many making as many good decisions as it did before but i don't have that number on the scale and i don't have you know smaller clothes to fit into or to work towards but what what keeps me going now is exactly that is that i love myself and i love this life and i love these opportunities that i can now participate in and i am gonna fight tooth and nail because i do not want to give those up and i mm. do not ever want to get to the point where i felt like i did when i was 400 pounds and i got myself here no one else is going to take it away from me and i am not going to take it away from myself you certainly aren't man you certainly aren't and that <laughs> no that's i mean I, how do i respond to that because there's this power in those, <laughs> like there's clear passion in your words and i think because that's what, you know, I would like to, uh, for us to talk a little bit about now, because I, it's easy. Like I've talked to several people that have lost, you know, amazing amounts of weight, but they've lost amazing amounts of weight over the past year or two or the past, you know, three years. Like we're talking about, you know, it's now been eight years that, you know, nine, 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 nine years that you've been living this life, living this new life. And you've built something that is clearly sustainable for you. and you you know you start to say you know like it, it, the key to it all is is loving yourself but what is life like for you now like what are what is your eating like now what is your physical cuz i know you've discovered another another passion it seems physically you know i'd like i'd like yeah, to hear a little definitely. bit about, i'd love to hear a little bit about that because it's something that has always terrified me you know as i was a bigger person so i i would love for you to talk to people about what you're doing now well what he's referencing is yeah. that uh, what he, what you, what you oh, yeah. are referencing? I'm talking to you. Oh yeah, um, but you can uh, you can you can address the audience. Like there, there's an audience. What, out there. Well, what what Gourmet knows yeah. is that I compete in um, stair races. Mm. I race up stairwells in skyscrapers. Oh wow! And um, and and you just said that like the you know you alluded to the fact that 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 idea is frightening, and that's exactly where it started for me. Is that I was going to the gym. And I would see the, the step mills in the corner and they intimidated me mm. because everyone that I ever saw in a step mill uh, or, you know, it's a Stairmaster. That's if people don't know what a step mill is. It's like those little escalators that you climb endlessly at the gym. Um, but um, every single person I saw on a, on, a, on a step mill was like drenched in sweat in like 35 seconds. And, mm. and it just looked so hard and so awful. And so finally, one day I was like, I got to face that fear. I got to give this machine a go. And so wow. I, I waited till the end of the workout. So in case I didn't like it, I still had my workout already done. But at the end of a workout, I was like, I'm just going to do, let's see if I can go five minutes on this thing. Right. And I did five minutes. And then like a week later, I was like, I'm going to go for six. And I did a whole workout. And then I did six. Ended, and I ended with six minutes on the Stairmaster. And then I jumped up to eight and then to 10. And it's like, you know, like the small changes we were talking about earlier. Like I didn't jump into 
45 minutes or a half hour on the on the step mill, I started at five and, and slowly worked my way up. And um, and if you've ever used one of those machines, there is a display, you know, that that one of the one of the figures on the display is how many stories you've climbed. Right. You know, the equivalent of how many stories you've climbed. And I'm a big nerd and I love um, like architecture and design and, and urban planning. And so I would look at the number and I'd be like, OK, I just went for 12 minutes and I just climbed 37 stories. And I would go home and I would look up a 37-story building online and just start looking at pictures of it. And it'd be like random buildings in, in Des Moines, Iowa, mm. or, you know, or a condo tower somewhere in Texas or whatever it was. Oh, wow. But seeing those pictures and being like, oh, shit, I just climbed that. Right. Like, that's what I just did today. Like, that motivated me to, me to do more. And so all of a sudden, like, I was challenging myself. Like, I'm going to work up to climb the equivalent of Empire State or – Actually, my first one was Renaissance Center, which is in Detroit, the tallest building in Detroit, which is I grew up outside Detroit. And that was a building that I'm very familiar with, like personally. And there was a restaurant at the top and I've been to that restaurant. And um, and so I set a goal to climb the Renaissance Center and I was living in L.A. at the time. So then it was a goal to climb uh, U.S. Bank Tower, which is the tallest building in Los Angeles and then Empire State and Chrysler and Sears Tower and buildings in Dubai and Kuala Lumpur and Hong Kong and Tokyo. And I sort of, after like maybe six months, I had this list, all of which went on the blog, like all these pictures, all right. these accomplishments went on, went on my website. And I was like, I had this list of skyscrapers that I had climbed and it was like dozens of skyscrapers long. And then I heard, I don't even remember where I heard about a race in Los Angeles up a stairwell and it was 63 stories in a building called the Aeon Center. And started on the sidewalk and ended on the roof. And I signed up for it. I was like, I was like, heck yeah! I'm like, I'm doing this hypothetically at the gym, climbing these buildings hypothetically. Like, I got to do it for real. And it, like, I signed up, and like, I just felt this pit in my stomach. Like, what did I just do? Like, what mm. am I committing myself to here? And uh, but I, I trained hard. I, I prepared myself. I um, went with friends on the day of the race, and I just remember like standing. Um, like they, it's this big event. And so they like close off a block of the street. And I remember standing on the street or the sidewalk, looking up at this building right in front of me and like realizing I could barely see the top of it at all. Oh, wow. And like, I was going to be climbing up there and I did the race and it was the most challenging thing I had ever done in my life. Mm. Stairs are hard. I don't think anyone will disagree with that. Stairs oh, are yeah. And if you're going for speed and going for time, like everything hurts. There's so much fatigue. There's so much sweat. There's so much like, m like so many muscle aches. And I, and I got to the top and I couldn't stand up. And I, when I was on the helipad and I sort of sank to my knees and then I like eventually ended up lying down. But the way that I felt, it was like this, I, there was, there was, Definitely pride, definitely accomplishment, definitely um, exhaustion and fatigue. And, and my heart was, you know, my heart rate was at a level that I'd never experienced before. And my lungs were like, like with every breath, were just sort of like screaming for more air. Mm. And, um, and I felt and I felt this sense of invincibility because I was literally on the second highest roof in Los Angeles. The whole city was like laid out below me. And I could see all this, like this grid of streets stretching all the way to the mountains or the ocean in all directions. And I started on one of those streets and now I'm here. And I had never felt that way before, wow. that sense of invincibility. And I got hooked on it. 
hooked on that feeling and I and I started chasing it. And I was like, I got to do more of these. And I did the tallest building in LA and I did, I started traveling because there's only so many of these races. Right. And they only happen in big cities. They got to be where there's a skyscraper. And, um, and that first race was in 2012. And now I've done, um, I'm over 75. I, I oh, have wow. written down. I can't think of the number off the top oh, of my head. Oh, for but sure. I've done 75 of these races. Um, I've done, uh, Space Needle. I've done Sears Tower. I've done Stratosphere in Vegas. I've done the CN Tower in Toronto. I've done the Eiffel Tower. I've, I'm one of only um, 20 people that have been selected, invited. 20 Americans, I should mm-hmm. say, a whole bunch of whole bunch of Frenchies and people from other countries. But I'm only one of about 20 Americans that have been invited to compete in the race up the Eiffel Tower. Oh wow! And like, and I and I get I, I have goosebumps right now just telling you to that. Because, oh yeah. Like, that came from, you know, that came from a guy that would, that, that couldn't do anything, that wasn't mm. doing anything, that, that, um, refi- like actively avoided physical activity if, if I could at all costs and during long stretches of my life. So, um, but, you know, the, the, the whole, my big takeaway with that is I found something that I was passionate with. And if you get to, you know, if you want to lose weight, if you want to keep it off, you're going to have to stay active. And you don't need to find some extreme sport. You don't need to find the most physically challenging thing that you've ever, ever thought that you could do. You know, it just happens to be what, what found me. But, you know, you got to find something that you're going to do every day, whether mm. that's going for a longer walk with your dog, whether that's, you know, playing ball with your kids, chasing them around the yard, whether that's, you know, going like if you love a, you know, if you love a fitness class, if you're, you know, doing that three, four times a week, you got to find something that you love because if you don't love it and if it doesn't push you, if you don't, if you don't, you know, if you don't get benefits of it physically, emotionally, mentally, and you're going to stop, like the weight will come back. And I know that mm. as soon as I stop, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm always moving six workouts a week. 45 minutes each time minimum. Like that's my minimum requirement for my weekly workout goal. Six workouts, 45 minutes a piece. And I exceed it frequently, but like that's my baseline for exercise. Uh, my, my now weekly goal. And I didn't start off that way. I got there after I've been at it for nine years. Um, but you got to find something that you can, you, you may have to schedule it into your day. Like it's a doctor's appointment or a, you know, or a meeting at work. Like I was doing that for a long time where I was literally putting on my calendar, like I'm going to be working out, you know, Monday and Wednesday before work, but I can work out Tuesday and Thursday after work. And literally there's been huge stretches of my life where I've been invited to things or like people, you know, wanted to hang out. And I've been like, well, I got to work out that day and I'm not going to skip that. So, you know, let's pick another day. Or if you're cool, like, let's just, you know, meet up a little bit later. Um, And you treat it like the most important part of your schedule like you would a doctor's appointment or you know or church if you're if you're very faithful or you know whatever it is whatever Mm -hmm. like you gotta you gotta treat exercise with the same reverence that you would anything else and um and you gotta keep evolving and if you and if that that activity that you find like loses its appeal or loses its luster or you know God forbid you get injured and you can't do it anymore or something like that you gotta keep evolving you gotta find something else and that doesn't just stick to exercise like you got to keep trying new foods like you can't i know that i can't get into a rut because if i start eating the same thing every day every day every day after like three or four days i know that like all i want more than anything else is to like order a pizza Mm. and eat it all at once and i know i can because i spent years doing it so 
what am I going to do on a daily basis to switch things up? And and I talked earlier about having this arsenal of resources. Right. And you keep building that, so you like so you know like you're never stuck. It's not like well I am in a rut, but I have nowhere to turn now because I don't know what else I can do. Like you keep building on those you know building those resources and building those um, tools and you you know building people that you follow on Instagram or blogs that you follow. So you know I know that if I'm getting stuck, like I have places to turn and, and, and recipes that I can research. And, um, and I'm always looking for new places to train. Uh, like I, I drive through, like I travel a lot for these races and my eye is always open to like, Ooh, that building's tall. I want, like, I wonder if I can get in that stairwell or like, oh, wow. Ooh, I wonder if there's, you know, uh, like what, where's the best place to, to walk or run up that hill? Like, it's just the way that I think now. And I, I'm particularly fascinated by parking garages, which are like architecturally typically the most boring, ugly structures that mankind could ever build. Mm. But like parking garages are awesome places to train because stairwells are always open. They're always covered. Um, and you know, if you're, if it's a, if it's a parking garage that services like offices, then on the weekend, they're going to be empty. And you're not going to be bothering people. You can go in there, do your own thing, get out, and you know have a great workout under your belt. And it doesn't need to be tall. Like I used to work out in a four-story uh, parking garage all the time, and I figured out ways that I could make, you know, it's not a sixty-three-story building like I'd be racing in two months, but I know that I can build a workout for myself no matter what's available to me. And you sort of, um, over time, if you're continuing to put into the effort and you're not sort of going into autopilot, like your brain will just start evolving to like, you know, continually be seeking out those things. And I'm so grateful for that because I, I'm the sort where I know that if I become complacent or if I ever start thinking that like, I know what, I know everything that I need to know, like, I know that I'm going to be that weight's going to come back in a literally mm. the snap of a finger. So I just sort of continually, I keep evolving and i know that i will need to and i think that makes and I sense know that i want to like that's the other thing is that I, I like i want to keep evolving because my future depends on it my health right. depends on it and like i said earlier i'm not gonna let my i'm not gonna let my own self ruin it that 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 makes complete sense like you you made the point that like you you don't on a weight loss journey, eventually you reach a point where you're not going to be tracking clothes getting smaller anymore. You're not going to be weighing yourself weekly, monthly, however often you do it, because that's not going to be changing anymore. Like, and then you talk now about, you know, finding, finding that next passion, I think is really key. I think people don't understand sometimes that, especially when we've got a long, you know, we've got a hundred pounds to lose, 200 pounds to lose or more that we become passionate about the weight loss journey and put our energy into it and do great things. But then when you reach kind of the end of that road in theory, like the end of trying to lose more weight, if you don't have somewhere to put that energy, it's it can go right back to where you were before. It, it can You can slip back. And I, I think your point is hopefully made really well. I mean, I think it's incredible for someone who was 400 pounds to now be traveling to, to, to do stair races. Like to me, that's incredibly inspiring. I, I did a, a lung association climb, stair climb once in 2013 um, when I had lost. Yeah, which one? Uh, it's here in Providence, Rhode Island. Um, it's just one of the buildings here in, in Providence. And 
it was like you're saying it was possibly one of the most terrifying things I've ever done in my life. You actually, we actually started from like five blocks away and like you walked to the building and then you were let in in waves. And, um, I was ready yeah. to turn around and run. I was ready to just turn around and run. And my friends, well, I had literally had friends behind me pushing me up the stairs at some points when I was like, I can't go on. And like, we're going on, we're going to make it to the top of the dang building if we have to push you the whole way. Um, so we weren't running up the stairs, but I, I know what you're talking about. In terms, like that first time saying you get to the top and there's just this one, there's this amazing relief and sense of accomplishment, but two, your body is like, what did we just do? How did we do? Why did we do this? There was no one chasing us. Why did we run up these stairs? Why are you doing this? Like, and I, I had all these moments of like these people that were doing it as a race, zooming past me and zooming past us on the stairs. And I was just like, I just have to keep going. I just have to keep doing this. And so there's a big part of me that wants to get to that place where I, I could do that again, just to say that I did it again. But I don't know if I'll ever travel the world. That will be my passion. I'll, I think I have to. I need to find something else once I hit the end of my road because <laughs> I I know like you you're talking about like I still I I do a couple minutes on that stairmaster and anyone out there who hasn't tried the stairmaster if you've got one in your gym try it. And you will learn every word that, that David has said is true about what it's like to do. But dang, you feel accomplished when you when you see those floors start to pile up. Like it really is like I can understand how you became, you know, passionate and hooked on seeing that motivation because that's that's incredible, man. Like really hearing that fire in your voice that you've discovered, I think is is truly inspiring. Thank you. And, oh, definitely, I agree, definitely. I agree. <laughs> oh, I'm sure you do. And and I think it's I think it's great. Like I, I think you should like your your pride in what you've done is well earned. Like you you've taken us through this incredible journey talking tonight. And I don't want us to have to go on forever. Like I don't want this to go into Friday morning for you, but I, I want to <laughs> I, I, I don't wanna I don't wanna just wrap up and, and end without, you know, giving you a chance to like one, if there's anything you wanted to talk about that we didn't get a chance to talk about, and two, if there's anything you know, I, you've made some powerful statements for the, the audience tonight. I hope that everyone listening is really going to, you know, even if you have to go back and re-listen to some of the words that, that David shared, like, I think no matter what diet you're following or what lifestyle you're leading when it comes to your fitness and weight loss, like the words about heart and passion and motivation are really strong, some strong things you've shared with me tonight that I really appreciate. And what is, what is the message that you want to make sure that people take away from from our talk tonight? Like, what are what are your what are your words for the the audience out there for the Fat Guy Forum? Um, do I, I can only pick one. Oh no, no, as much as you want. You know, this is I'm not cutting you. <laughs> no, I'm not going to cut you off in ten seconds. Like, I want to, I want to, whatever, whatever you want to say. This is your chance. Like, this is your chance to say it. Um, I think that. I think that I just want to tell people that you can start something and you can make a big difference mm. and you don't need to fully be you don't need to fully believe in it now. Like all you need is just some little nudge in the right direction and if you stick to that little nudge and you make that one little change, like good things can happen and the most surprising thing, the most surprising things on this journey for me were the stuff that I wasn't anticipating and never ever expected. So like and and all that talk about stairs is the perfect example. Like I didn't know these races mm. existed. I didn't know anyone that had done them. 
I didn't know that it was a possibility. And now it's like a driving force in my life. And if I hadn't, you know, if I hadn't been nudged by Richard, if I hadn't taken those first couple steps at the beginning, that door would have probably stayed permanently closed and sealed forever. So, you know, even if you don't think you have all the abilities now or the capabilities now, I think everyone listening can do one thing tomorrow. It doesn't have to be huge. You know, it can be a, a walk to your mailbox and back. It can be, you know, cutting out one beer or cutting out one soda. Like you can find one thing and then, you know, relish in that success and do it the next day and do it the day after that. And when you're ready, you don't have to go at any other pace other than the one that you set mm -hmm. for yourself. You find that second thing. And keep an open mind about what you're doing and where you're going. And um, and your future can unfold before you in ways that at right now are unimaginable. And so just accept that. Accept that you're going to go on a journey and you don't know where that road will take you. But I guarantee if you put that effort in and you stick and you find those habits and you stick to them and you keep building on them, then the results will astound you and they will astound you in ways that right now you don't even, you'll, you'll end up living dreams that you never know that you had. That that's fantastic, man. What comes next for you? Like what, what are you excited about next in this, you know, in this kind of wild journey that you've been living? Like what, what's up next for you? Anything, anything you've got planned or what's, what's, When's the next race? Like, what, what's happening? The next race is um, the next race oh, is wow. this Saturday, and and spoiler alert: I, this isn't this isn't going to get published until we'll, right. the race will have already happened by the time the people listening heard this. But but in in uh, in two days, I am uh, I'm driving seven miles, not seven miles. Okay. I'm driving seven <laughs> hours. I'm driving seven hours to to compete in a race that is. A 5K run that ends with oh, 500 wow. steps up the side of a mountain in a like in a far rural part of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. So I'm doing that this weekend. I'm super excited because I haven't been to that part of the state before ever, and um, and it's like this quick like this crazy weekend trip where I'm driving seven hours on Saturday, racing Sunday morning, and then getting back in my car and getting right. at, you know getting back home because I'm not taking any time off of work. So. I, you know, I have a couple more races in August. Um, my next sort of big race will be Sears Tower uh, in Chicago, which is in a couple months. Um, but, uh, you know, not to put too, like, uh, cheesy of a sure. sort of button on the end of this. Um, generally speaking, moving forward, like, I know you're oh, familiar yeah. with my blog. And if anyone else goes to keepitupdavid.com, you're going to learn really quickly that I end every single post on my blog the same way. And I use, you know, I use four words and it's a, it's a reminder of everything that I've done so far and everything that I'm capable of doing. And that's why my, that's why my blog is called keep it up, David, because that's the message that I keep telling myself over and over again. Mm. I just need to keep it up. And so that's my future. That's what's happening. I'm going to keep it up. Keep it up. David. Well, I, I, that is not, that, that is what, <laughs> that's not way too cheesy for me at all and heck you're talking to a keto guy so cheese is my life i i i think there's no doubt you're gonna you're gonna keep it up man like i i think your <laughs> your fire and passion are are incredibly contagious as well so thank you so much uh for sharing 
everything that you did tonight with us. Um, I know that everyone listening is really going to appreciate it. And we know they can go to keepitupdavid.com to find the blog. And honestly, people, like, if, if you've heard anything that, that David has talked about tonight and you want to know more about it, his journey for the past nine years is there on that blog. Like, you can scroll through it. Like, you can I spend, I think, an hour and a half, you know, for lunch today, an hour or so, like, eating my lunch and just scrolling back through old posts and then watching like watching as things progressed. And um, so definitely go and check out his blog and they can, is there anywhere else they can find you on these internets or connect with you? Yeah, it's super easy. I'm, I'm uh, keep it up, David on Instagram. I'm keep it up, David on Twitter, keep it up, David on Facebook, keep it up, David.com. It's the same four words for all four of those things. And, you know, if you're going to go and, and check that stuff out, and I hope that you mm-hmm. do, um, drop a line and say hi. You don't have to ask. If you have questions, you know, absolutely um, ask them. But, uh, but you know, say hi, wave, send an emoji. I'll, I'll, re- I'll return the sentiment um, and, uh, and know that, you know, we, I've talked a lot about building resources, you know, if it if it suits you and you like what I'm saying and you like what I'm sharing, use it as a resource. Come, you know, if you want to reach out three months from now and be like, "Hey, I'm ready and I have a question," like I'm not going to forget that I had this conversation with Gormy and that he was so gracious as to, you know, let me speak with, you know, his audience and and, you know, it doesn't have to be tomorrow or today or tonight or whatever. Like down the line, if you want to reach mm-hmm. out, reach out. Like. You know, I'm I'm sharing it publicly because I want to be a resource for other people because so many people have been a resource for me. And I know you feel the same way. Otherwise, why would you be, you know, as involved as you are on Instagram and sharing your story? Because I have leaned on other people. If people want to lean on me, I'm, you know, I'm still a big guy. I'm 6'4". Like, lean away. Mm. Oh, there you go. Well, well, again, thank you one more time, David. And again... Go check out keepitupdavid.com and, and find him on the Instagram and say hi. Let him know what you thought about tonight's episode. And hey, if you are listening to us on iTunes, on Apple, if you could leave us a rating, um, that would be great. I, my understanding is that helps get this podcast in front of more people. And I definitely feel like this week's episode, David's story needs to be heard by as many people as possible. And, you know, I would love to keep these, these, these stories in the Fat Guy Forum going. So if you get a chance and could do that for us, that would be great. As always, I am your host, Gourmet. You can find me on Instagram at Gourmet underscore goes underscore keto. Gourmet goes keto with all those underscores. Or you can find me on Twitter, Gourmet goes keto, no underscores or dashes, just Gourmet goes keto. Or you can email the show at thefatguyforum at gmail.com. Drop us a line. You want to be on the show? You want to talk to me? Let me know about it. I'd love to hear from you. As I always like to say, you know, David, David ends his blogs with Keep It Up, David, and I always end these podcasts by reminding you to do something today to amaze yourself because you're amazing people. So take care of yourselves, and we'll see you on real soon here on the Fat Guy Forum.